Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Out of Sight Sports Podcast. My name is Josh Davis, and today I have some really interesting topics surrounding the sports world I want to discuss. Let's get into the news. All right, guys, our first topic of discussion today is the Pittsburgh Steelers. As we all know, the Steelers lost in the AFC wildcard to the Cleveland Browns. The Browns took off running and were whipping the Steelers like a tied-up goat, leading 28 to nothing in the first quarter. At the beginning of the year, some people were really taking the Steelers serious, and I thought the people that were were out of their damn minds. In the third game of this season, they beat my Broncos by only five points, who had Jeff Driscoll starting, who also threw for 256 yards and two touchdowns. Have you ever seen Jeff Driscoll play? He's inaccurate. He's slow in the pocket. He holds onto the ball too long, and honestly, the man just isn't an NFL quarterback whatsoever. And we all know how Denver's season transpired. Well, let's not get into that, or I'll get heated. Considering the Browns haven't won a playoff game since 1994, Imagine how motivated the guys were to end such a disappointing era that so many diehard Cleveland fans had to endure. All the different quarterbacks who couldn't handle the pressure like Tim Couch, Spurgeon Wynn, Johnny Manziel, Bruce Gadowski, Ken Dorsey, Kevin Hogan, Luke McCown, Austin Davis. I mean, the list goes on forever. Even worse, there has been 18 non-interim head coaches for the Browns franchise since 1999 when the team was reactivated in Cleveland under new owner Jimmy Haslam III. So you can bet your ass they retired of being kicked around and bullied. And clearly, Juju's the Browns is the Browns statement really backfired. Because guess what? The Browns are a better football team than you and sent you home. The way he said it was very arrogant. Like he has ever won or done anything for the Steelers organization that unbelievable on the field besides his phenomenal 2018 year where he had an outstanding 1,400-plus receiving yards. He went from being one of the most loved players in the league to one of the most hated. Chase Claypool said the loss didn't matter because the Browns are going to get clapped by the Chiefs. With that mentality, he wasn't giving his team a good chance of beating the Chiefs if they were to advance. I know the chances are slim to none to beat the juggernaut Chiefs, especially in January. But anything can happen in the NFL, and if you ask me, that's just a loser mentality. After all the talking they did, they did nothing to back it up, and clearly Juju's teammates don't have his back. They came out flat and basically lied down and died like roadkill for the Browns. Although they started to make a push in the third quarter, I knew it was over along with everyone else who has a brain after they had the worst defensive quarter in the history of the NFL playoffs. The Steelers also owe Washed Big Ben $41.3 million next year. Juju is a free agent. James Conner is a free agent. Bud Dupree played on a franchise tag. Do you really think these guys think they can make a legitimate run with Big Ben? Because although the incredible Steeler has two rings to his name, Father Time has been getting the best of him. Steelers also have 26 free agents next year. Yeah, you heard me. 26. This is definitely going to be an interesting upcoming offseason in Pittsburgh. Our next topic is definitely the most interesting. James Harden has been traded to the Nets and will form a super team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Wow. Just process that. The greatest scorer of all time, obviously KD, with the man who hit arguably the most clutch shot in NBA history and shattered the dreams of Warriors fans in 2016, and then the 2020 leading scorer with the most undefendable move in the game. The Nets are loaded. Here are the trade details. Yesterday, the Brooklyn Nets made a blockbuster four-team trade that involved Indiana and Cleveland. Brooklyn sent the Rockets a deal that included several players, including Karis LeVert and draft picks. Levert was then traded to the Pacers in exchange for Oladipo. Big man Jarrett Allen and Tarian Prince are headed from the Nets to the Cavs in the deal, while the Rockets receive Cleveland guard Dante Exum and Brooklyn forward Radiance Karuch. 
I think that's how you say it, but I don't know. I've never been able to. The trade actually works out pretty solid for the Rockets as they can pair a young Oladipo with a healthy John Wall, and the Pacers get a solid young player in Levert to put on a young, well-coached team with a promising future. I previously picked the Nets to make it out of the East and lose to the Lakers in six games, but with the addition of James Harden, this Brooklyn team is looking scary on paper, and I think the 2021 NBA champion will be decided in an intense Game 7. But I would still say the Lakers will win in seven. But it's very possible Brooklyn could take the throne from the King, and that hurts to say. There's absolutely no more excuses. The Brooklyn Nets have three of the top seven best players walking the earth right now. The greatest scorer of all time and arguably the second best scorer in the game right now. The one concern I really have is their defense. After a hot start, the Nets have given up 113.2 points per 100 possessions in their last eight ranking a mediocre 25th in the league. Obviously, Harden doesn't bring much to the table defensively, and with the loss of big man Jarrett Allen, who is a phenomenal rim protector, that doesn't help as well. With Allen gone, DeAndre Jordan and Jeff Green must have a big role on the defensive side when it comes to blocking and altering shots. With all of this talent comes egos, and we saw James Harden basically give up on Houston this season after nine games. And make no mistake, he has this sort of me-first attitude said much about his teammates and organization behind their backs, dissed their new coach, Steven Silas, didn't return calls, skipped many practices consistently, and showed up overweight. He had his way in Houston time after time, so he's going to have to make a major adjustment for this to work. After getting blown out by the Lakers for the second time this year, Tuesday, Harden had this to say to reporters. thing about it is, Harden isn't even the biggest concern when it comes to the locker room in my opinion. Kyrie is. But the thing is, Irving can always be counted on in clutch situation, but only if he chooses to be or is available. And when it comes to the 28-year-old point guard, that assumption isn't always an accurate one. If the Warriors culture rubbed KD the wrong way after winning two titles, good luck with Irving and Harden. I completely get why he missed a few games because he was upset after the disgusting and horrific events that transpired in Washington on January 6th. Or at least that's what most of the reports are saying, but the Nets are yet to comment. I understand why he would want a break if that is true, and I actually like Kyrie as well. He's a generational superstar who is so much fun to watch. But when a video leaks almost a week later of you partying maskless on your sister's birthday with way too many people around you, isn't the best and most responsible look given the COVID protocols under place. It is unclear when Irving will be back in action, not only because he hasn't given an explanation for his absence, but also because he may have breached the NBA's health and safety protocols. He also said he left Cleveland for Boston because he wanted to be the man and that didn't go so well. Following that, he obviously joined up with Kevin Durant, but as far as I'm concerned or unless I'm blind, 
KD is the man in Brooklyn, too. So clearly that was a lie as well. He also blatantly insulted LeBron with another lie for no reason on Kevin Durant's podcast, saying, One thing I've always been comfortable with is, I felt like I was the best option on every team I've ever played for down the stretch. This is the first time in my career where I can look down and be like, that mother F can make that shot too. James appeared as a guest on the Road Trippin' Podcast with Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry, and Allie Clifton, where he addressed Irving's comments, saying that he was hurt by the comments, mentions how they beat the 73-9 and Warriors in the 2016 NBA Finals in arguably the greatest games 5-7 through seven ever played by any duo in the history of the NBA. Come on now. We all know LeBron hits clutch shot after clutch shot. Anyways, Durant, Irving, and Harden are the best trio in the league, and if it doesn't work out and they don't bring home championships, there will be no one else to blame but them. But they asked for this. It's about to get crazy in the NBA. Last but not least, I wanted to look at my top 10 NCAA basketball teams in the country. Remember, this is my top 10, not the official one. Okay, at number one, we got the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I am very high on this team, like I said in the last podcast. They have been steamrolling everyone they have played so far, and I believe these guys can go undefeated. They are a perfect 12-0 with statement wins over Iowa, West Virginia, Kansas, and Virginia, all top 20 teams in the country. The Bulldogs are the first team to score over 85 points in their first 12 games in 30 years as well. Don't be surprised if the Zags are undefeated come March. At number two, we got the Baylor Bears. Baylor has really established themselves over the past couple of years in the Big 12. They still have not necessarily played the most competitive schedule, but they square off against the blue-blooded Kansas Jayhawks, a team that should be highly motivated after being upset by Oklahoma State and previously losing 84-59 to Texas. Look for the Jayhawks to come out swinging after these two disappointing losses in the new year. This should be a really good game. At number three, we got Michigan. Michigan has always been a great program, winning the national title in 1989 before the Fab Five. But since then, Michigan has obviously had plenty of chances and made many deep runs through the years, but haven't been able to bring home another national championship. As we all know, Michigan brought in Jawan Howard in 2019, and he has killed it when it comes to recruiting. Michigan has the number one recruiting class headed into next season, and it seems as if the Wolverines are only only going to get better and better. Anyways, Michigan is a perfect 11-0 with double-digit wins against Wisconsin and Maryland. Michigan is going to be a problem come March. At number four, we got Villanova. Villanova has quality wins over a solid Texas team, the Marquette Golden Eagles, and Arizona State. As we know, Jay Wright got the coronavirus, and the program has had its issues when it comes to COVID. The Wildcats haven't played since December 23rd because of it, too. At number five, we got Creighton. Creighton has four quality wins versus teams ranked in the top 80 of the net. To explain it as quickly as I can, the net stands for the NCAA Evaluation Tool, which is used to select teams for the tournament based upon strength of opponents and locations. Blue Jays hope to continue their six-game win streak as they face off against Butler Saturday. At number six, we got Iowa. Iowa was scheduled to play Michigan State tonight. The Spartans, who were scheduled to depart for Iowa City on Wednesday, Instead, stayed home. That game has now been postponed due to COVID-19. Iowa is number five on the official rankings as well with a quality record of 11-2. Their two losses come to number one Gonzaga and number 23 Minnesota. Luke Garza and company have a chance to do something special in the tournament if all the pieces can come together. At number seven, we got Texas. Texas was able to establish themselves officially as a Big 12 threat when they met Kansas on January 2nd. 
destroying my Jayhawks 84-59. to The Longhorns' only losses have come to Villanova, who beat them by four, and Texas Tech, who beat them by two points yesterday. Texas is actually number four on the official list, but the reason I have them at seven is because they have had games come down to the wire against UNC, Davidson, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, all who lost to the Horns by one possession. The consistency isn't quite there in my mind, but Texas is a great basketball team when they are clicking. At number eight, we have Tennessee. Tennessee is one of the best defensive teams in the country, like I said in the last podcast. The resume features four wins against teams in the top 80 of the net. The Volunteers will square off against South Carolina on the road, going into the game with a two-game win streak at 9-1. and one. With less games played than a lot of these other teams, this is why they are a little lower than they will probably end up later on in the season. At number nine, we got my Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas sits 10-3 and three with four wins against teams in the top 40 of the net, most notably Creighton, West Virginia, and Texas Tech. All three losses have come to teams in the top 40 of the net as well, Gonzaga, Texas, and Oklahoma State. And at number 10, we got West Virginia. The Mountaineers are 9-4 with six of their nine wins coming against top 100 Ken Palm teams. With that being said, that's just about everything I wanted to cover today. The podcast is now available on platforms like Spotify and Google Podcasts. Episode 3 will be available next Thursday. Have a good weekend and see you then.